Amen. Amen. You know, release the hounds. The kids. Yes, kids, you are dismissed. You can go to your adventure that awaits you. <clears throat> they love going to children's church. They just love being uh, learning about the Lord. And you can tell in their worship, can't you? You know, you do, those of you online didn't get to see it, but prior to the service this morning, um, Melissa was up here praying and she had Baylor and she had Michaela sitting down here on the corner of the step. And it was just, it was amazing, wasn't it? Not just because they're our kids, but because they're praying the heart of the Father. They, they say things in ways that I wish sometimes we could, you know. And so we could take a lesson from those little kids. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. So let's all be like little kids and go to Him today, alright? That's our thing. And just like little kids, that's a great segue. Good, I like that. How many of you ever heard this phrase, <clears throat> because I said so? Because I said so, that's probably not a foreign concept or phrase to a lot of people. Especially those of us that are a lot more mature in years, that seemed to be, that was the standard. You know, uh, why did they say that? Maybe it was mom or dad, he was even maybe a grandparent or somebody close to you. And you'd say, but why do I have to do this? Why do I have to clean my room? They'd say, because I said so. Sometimes there was no explanation except for because I said so. But maybe it was because they have our best interests in mind right? Maybe they're trying to protect us. They're trying to teach us so that we can grow up and be responsible adults and help teach our children, if God so desires that we have them, to be able to, to, to change and, and spread that on and help them to grow. That kind of sounds like discipleship, doesn't it? Well, we'll get more to that later, all right? Maybe they said, because I said so, to instill a sense of trust, a trust in them. Because we'd say, well, the last time they told me I said so, and I did it, if things turned out good, I didn't get a whooping, right? Maybe that's what it was. The consequences were much better. In fact, they weren't really consequences. They were probably more like a reward. But you know, it's because we might get distracted in the processing of all the steps and stages that it takes to get to there, and we'd be distracted. And so instead, they said, because I said so, because they knew the end result in mind that they had that they wanted to achieve. So today I want to talk about doing what we're told. It says, because I said so. Who are we listening to and why? Who are we listening to and why are we listening to them? You know, from the time we're children, we're told what to do. Make your bed, clean your room, feed the dog, cut the grass, take out the trash. These were chores, a lot of us thought, that helped us, though, to build character and to help us to grow and to mature and develop responsibility. Um, but how do we determine who, who we're supposed to listen to? A lot of times it's a what are you listening to? But it starts, I believe, with authority. That's how we determine who we're to listen to. Because at a very young age, we learned it's best to listen to mom and dad, right? That was still the days when there might have been, they didn't spare the rod and spoil the child. Might have been a leather belt. Was it Tim? Was it you that told me you'd hear how many belt straps there were in your, in the, in your dad's pants? You, just, you could count them. I don't know how many are there. Eleven? Eight, eight, he could hear those eight belt loops swishing by as that, <laughs> depend on the size of the man, he said. All right, so that was those days, but you know, if, and we'd also hear if you don't do what you're told, mom would say, you just wait till your father gets home. Hmm, that would put the fear of God in you, wouldn't it? 
Wait till your father gets home. Or how about this one? They put your middle name in the name. They saw Terry Lee Wright. I knew I was in trouble. Baylor calls that her in trouble name. And I'm sure Brett and Taylor do too. But you know that we've learned that that's, they got our attention, didn't they? And as we get a little older, we go to school. We're supposed to listen to the teacher. If you don't listen to the teacher and do what you're told, what happens? Principal's office. That's right. We had a principal in elementary school. His name was Mr. Long. Kenneth Long. Now, I was just in grade school, so everything seems bigger to you when you're a little kid. But I saw this man when I was a full-grown adult, and he was still a very big man. He had walked with authority, and he was the principal at our school. And at this time, the disciplinary measures at that, in those times in the 70s was they still used a paddle. And he had a wooden paddle hanging in his office, Right? In fact, you'd see that and you'd be like, I'm not going to get in trouble today because I'm, I'm going to stay away from that office because there's a paddle in there. How do you stay away from that office? You stay good, right? Do what you're told. We had a sixth grade teacher that had a paddle hanging in his classroom right next to the chalkboard. Some uh, seventh or eighth grade students, former students of his thought it was a great joke to make him one in wood shop and then they drilled holes in it because they thought that it might get a little more air going through it so he could get a better swing. But he was not afraid to, uh, he did not wait. He had no tolerance for disobedience in his classroom. In fact, that paddle was not just there for show. I'd seen him go and he'd grab somebody up by the arm, take him right out. He'd march him out in the hallway, leave the door open to the hallway. There was no privacy. And then you'd hear him, he'd tell him, he'd say, you know, you're supposed to bend over, whatever, uh, grab your ankles, your knees. I don't know. I never went out there, thankfully. But then the next thing you heard was, whack! And it echoed in that hallway. And everybody in the classroom was just like, fear. Like, don't be next. Don't be next. You, I mean, people hold their breath in that class. It was crazy. But he had, a, he had control of his classroom. It only happened maybe once or twice a year. And that's all it really needed to happen. But it reinforced that he means it. Right? As we get older, we have other authority figures. Who remembers the first time you ever pulled over in your car? Why am I looking at Bob? i got to look somewhere else. <laughs> I bet John got pulled over once or twice. I remember the first time uh, I was in junior high and I had my license to drive. And um, it was funny because I remember everybody else driving by me. And you think about this, if you've ever been pulled over, you're kind of like sitting there in shame, you know, waiting for everything to be done. So you're thinking people are driving by and they're like, look at that lawbreaker. Look at that person there. But really they're saying, I'm glad it's not me, right? Because that's, that's the way we are a lot of times. The reality of, I'm glad it's not me. But how about in the workplace? Okay, we have a different kind of authority there. You've got a boss. And in a lot of places, you have a choice. Do what the boss says or find a different job, right? Sad but true, sometimes those moral compasses are not always where they need to be. And you say, I'm going to find a different job anyway. Well, praise God if you're following Him. But we have bosses that we have to be under authority of. And the majority of our lives, we're listening and taking directions and instructions from somebody else. So here's the question. If we're spending so much time listening to others, doing what they tell us, why don't we listen as well to God? Well, I'd like to say that it's because we have in this a rebellious spirit within us. The sin nature, we talk about it. It's, the Webster's Dictionary defines rebel as to oppose or disobey one in authority or control, to oppose or disobey one in authority, or control. 
Uh, the soldiers knew that they couldn't rebel without a solid plan for their revolt. That's just a good example there. The next slide shows us outlaw. That's another term that we might use for somebody who's really doing what they shouldn't be. A person excluded from the benefit of protection of the law. I thought that was an interesting one. They are excluded from the benefit. Who excludes them? Well, the law is set so that if they break it, then they're excluded. But they excluded themselves, right? Because they had the choice to make the choice to break that law if they wanted to or not. So God doesn't send people to hell. They make decisions that end up in that, in that type of a lifestyle. See, they, a lot of people think God is the righteous judge ready to swing the gavel down and say guilty as charged. Well, we're guilty because of our own actions, not because of what He has said. Now, He sets the law. So don't be an outlaw. Don't be a person excluded from the benefit or protection of the law. Billy the Kid, one of the most famous outlaws of America's earliest history. Just an example. One more for us to follow. And why were they benefit? They didn't get the benefit because they their disobedience to the law. On the next slide, we talk about this. A disobedience problem is a symptom of an authority problem. Truth or false? disobedience problem is a symptom of an authority problem. You see, we don't do what God tells us because maybe we don't see Him as an authority figure. Maybe we don't see Him as a father figure. You see, a lot of people struggle. I know, it's a common struggle. They didn't have a great father in this life, so that's all they can really relate to. But God is not that kind of a father. He's a loving father that even when we do mess up, He doesn't hold it against us. We say, Father, forgive me, and He does. He doesn't carry it around and drag it with him for 35 years and never talk to you on the phone except for maybe birthdays and Christmas. It's not like that. God is not that way. But we don't do what God tells us, I think, because we don't see Him as an authority figure. So let's define the word authority. Authority is one who has the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and enforce obedience. The principal is the person in authority at a school, right? We obey the principal. God is an authority because He has the power and the right to give orders and make decisions and to enforce obedience. God's love language is obedience. He loves it when we obey. Jesus said, you will show that you love me. Those who love me, obey me. So obedience is a really big part of this. Sounds a bit like the definition of a father, doesn't it? One who has the power or right to give orders, and moms too, but make decisions and enforce obedience. First, we need to understand that God is our Father. We pray it, don't we? How do we pray the Lord's Prayer? We say, Our Father. Our Father. We just, do we just say that because it's written in there, or do we believe it? Our Father who art in heaven. And if we do see Him that way, then God the Father should be the first voice we listen to. I said there's lots of voices that are trying to yell at us every single day. Movies, TV, music, advertising, drive down the highway, see it on a billboard. Social media, public opinion. Boy, you don't even have to ask people for their opinion anymore, do you? It's just given. So I'll say it again. God the Father should be the first voice that we listen to. We fear Him. And if you don't, you should, right? But it's a righteous fear. See, fear is used in theology, and sometimes theology gets a little scary. We often equate fear with being frightened. But really, I think so you say someone needs to put the fear of the Lord in him. Sounds like, well, he should be afraid of God. No, he should be afraid of what happens when we disobey God. But a better definition of this might be ultimate respect. Fear, ultimate respect. I have ultimate respect for them, so I don't want to cross them. 
There's no plan B. There's no other options. When God says it, He means it. Now do it. Just do it. No talking back. Don't you just love it when your kids talk back to you? We got dogs. We got chihuahuas. They talk back to us. I've never seen anything like it. You say, you don't do that. Even the dogs talk back to us. But not to God. You see, we need to mind Him. Do what He says. We do it out of love, not out of fear. And we want our kids to be that way too. We want them to clean their room, not out of fear that they're going to get disciplined, but out of love that we've asked them to do something and there's a reason for it. And they just do it for us because they love us. You see, there's that authority issue again. But God is the ultimate authority. That policeman who pulled you over, he had the authority to write you a ticket if you were doing something wrong. He also has the authority to take you to jail if you're not you know, within the law. But Jesus has a different kind of authority. Let's take a look at some of the ways of Jesus' authority. Just a few short ones in Scripture. Matthew 7.29 it says, For He was teaching them as one having authority, and not as their scribes who relied on others to confirm their authority. You see, they had to get confirmation that they were an authority. But Jesus didn't. They said He's teaching it just like He's an authority on this. The next one says, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. We know that Jesus talked to the Father. In fact, He says He didn't say things without hearing it from the Father first. So the Father gave Him this authority. It wasn't given to Him by the Pharisees or else they wouldn't have tried to kill Him. It wasn't given to Him by the other people that rebelled or else they would have, it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. But the last one here in Mark 127, it says, They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, Who is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. Remember the disciples when they were in the boat, and Jesus said to the storm, Peace, be still. And they said, Even the winds and the waves obey Him. They recognized His authority in the boat. So think about this. God is like the ultimate boss, right? He's the best employer ever to work for. Best retirement plan. Eternal rewards. I mean, you don't even get eternal rewards at Circle K. They run out, they run out. They can discontinue that loyalty card program anytime they want. They don't have to tell us. But not God. Eternal rewards. He loves and cares for each employee. You ever worked at a job where you didn't feel appreciated? Most of us probably have. But God's not like that. He takes time each day to listen to our problems. You don't have to book something with Him next Tuesday at 2. And you never have to you never have to ask permission. You just start talking to him and he's like, I hear you, my child. That's a good father. He always, you always have the ear of your father. Don't ever think he doesn't want to hear your problems. Don't ever think he doesn't want to hear that you have some concerns. A buddy of mine, Stevie A, wrote a song several years ago and it was the first line in the song was, Lord, it's me again. And in that, in that song, it was talking about how almost we feel like I'm burdening God by coming back and coming back through our repetition of sin and forgiveness. And I said, Stevie, God does not get tired of hearing from us. In fact, when we're thinking, Lord, it's me again, He's like, oh, I'm so glad you called. I'm so glad I'm hearing from you. It's that isolation that the devil wants to keep us in that we don't talk to nobody. We don't talk to God. That's not what God wants. You see, if you fear that, feel that fear and you feel isolation, like you don't want to talk to nobody, that's not from God. That's not from God. So once we've accepted this position, we realize, okay, 
Uh, we are going to work for God, so to speak, because we're going to do what He says. It even comes with a complete job description. Don't you like that? You ever gone to a job? And we went to one recently, uh, and they said, you need to write your own job description. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, but that's not the case in a lot of ways. But this, it's already done for us. No confusion about what's accept, expected. In fact, you know what? You know what this is right here? What's this? That's right. It's our handbook. It's the Bible, but it's our handbook. It's our instructions. I heard something a long time ago said B-I-B-L-E stands for uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. And I thought, well, you know what? There's more than just basic instructions. And it's not just for stuff for when we get across to glory. It's stuff in here for now. Not before leaving earth. There's stuff for here while we're here now. So somebody needs to rewrite that and put it in a different term. Bob, you work on that, would you? You're good with words. Thank you. That way I can get the old one out of my head. So if we had our handbook and we were going to look at it at the beginning, you know, it kind of tells us things. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 28 because we find a really good job description in here. And we start in verse 16 and it's going to be Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And uh, what's happening here is uh, the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. That's verse 16. And then right after, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, here it is, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. The word of the Lord. So let's take a few quick observations about these verses. If we look at that first verse, 28-16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Jesus told them, and they went. They didn't say, well, Jesus, why do you want us to go, go there? Why, why do we need to do it now? They, there was no discussion about that. It just says that He told them, and they went. Okay? They followed their orders. Next one, it says, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. You see, not everyone recognized His authority. They might have seen Jesus the man, but they did not recognize Him as the authority. So they didn't worship. Because if they, didn't, they weren't worthy of worship, He would say, get up off the ground. I'm not worthy. Only God is worthy of worship. There's times in the Old Testament where that happened. An angel appeared to Him. And they'd say, no, you, you don't worship Me because I'm not God. But this one, He let it happen because of His authority. The next one says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has given, given to Me. So who's the who here? Let's look at this from the old journalism perspective. Who, why, how, what, and where. The who is Jesus. Why did they do what He said? Because of the declaration of His authority. He said, All authority has been given to Me. He's saying, Listen to Me and do what I say. And then come the instructions. This is what they'd call the what. What He expects us to do. To go and make disciples, right? Where? Into all the world. How? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here's the good news. He says right at the end, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I'm with you always. You don't have to do this alone. Isn't that good? This is our job description. It's a four-part description. It's easy. Go, baptize, teach, 
make disciples. Go, baptize, teach, make disciples. Repeat, repeat, rinse, repeat, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. It's easy if we just look at what we're told to do, but we get so caught up in trying to figure out, well, what's the best way to try to do this? I remember we went to a leadership conference several years ago in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, they had all these tables with all of these supplies and things you could buy. They wanted you to buy to take this kit back to your church and that kit and this over here and this DVD, oh, I think it was VHS at the time, set back with you to your church so you could do a 42-week program to teach people how to lead others to Christ. And I'm like, 42 weeks? How long is it? It's going to take us almost a year to learn how to do this. How about you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, do you know Jesus? No. You know what he's done for me? It's that easy. Let me tell you what he's done for me. You know? So it's just easy if we just listen to what he says and just do it. He tells us how. First, we have to go. You're not going to accomplish anything just sitting around. Jesus, bring the disciples in. Come on, bring them in then baptize and teach. But in the first part of verse 20, it says, teach them to obey what? Everything I have commanded you. What is everything? That's the whole, it's everything He's taught us. It's not just the parts we like, not just the easy parts, not the parts that we think somebody else needs to hear, but everything, everything I've taught you. But didn't He just tell them in verse 19 to go out and make disciples? So what are we supposed to teach? If everything, we're supposed to teach them how to go out and make disciples. Well, how do you teach? How do you give away something you don't have? So first, we have to become a disciple, right? A disciple just really means a follower, a learned follower, somebody who's studying after Jesus. If you were going to be a disciple of somebody who worked down at the sawmill, you went and you studied how that person did things. You watched what they did. You did things on a daily basis to pick up little things, little habits, little little ideas that would get the job done right. Well, that's what the disciples were doing with Jesus. They spent every day with Him. They saw Him walking. They saw Him healing. They saw Him doing all these things. And so, He says, I want to teach you to teach everybody else all of these things. I think there's no other way to explain how, uh, how the good news of Christ made it this long. Over 2,000 years. One disciple made another, and another, and another, and so on, and so on. So, Welcome to the job you now have. Welcome to the company. We would give you that big old handshake that says thank you and we're glad to have you here. Now, there you go. There's the handshake. <coughs> it's all about timing, isn't it? The true definition of a disciple, as I said, a learner and a follower of Jesus, not so tough when we break it down. But theology, as I said before, often uses big scary words. Like, when we start to think about discipleship, we say, well, we're supposed to go and talk to people. It's like, I, I don't like talking to people. That big scary word sometimes they use is evangelism. It just sounds biblical and theology, theological all at the same time, doesn't it? It's got like the double whammy. But it gives us a picture, because it's been so misused over the years, of a preacher on TV preaching fire and brimstone and send me your money and all those kinds of things. People knocking on our doors asking us questions. Where are you going to spend eternity if you die? There's nothing wrong with that. That's a very important question, and we all need to know that. But sometimes the methods that have been used over the years have not quite been right exactly. Did you see people walking, Jesus walking around clubbing people over the head or with a Bible or whatever they had, a Torah? Here's the scrolls, you know. Follow me. He didn't do that, did he? He led by example. So if we're going to ask people, do you know where you're going? We got to know first. So let me ask you, do you know where you're going? 
Do you know who you're following? Okay? Evangelism for some is to tell people about God. They say, well, God was this guy who created the world and everything in it. And we go into, see, a lot of people are like, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. And you want me to teach the whole creation of the universe and then talk about Old, the Old Testament? See, we make it too complicated. Again, we're taking the steps and we're confusing it. Others show God's love through actions. What we do is we point others to Him. We point them to Him. You could follow me, like Paul said, as I follow Christ. But if I'm not following Christ, then you should probably question whether or not you need to be following me or not. Right? Discernment. That's what we need. We need to use that. We all need to learn about God. It's important. Understand who your Father is. Learn about His characters, uh, characteristics, His nature. What He expects and what He desires. But through discipleship, you see, we get to go a little further. We get to be a part of God's great work of redeeming the world through Christ by reaching out and allowing God's power and presence to extend into the lives of this community right here around us, to the lives of people through our daily lives. You see, it's about doing life together. That's what discipleship really is. It's about doing life together, walking through situations. Now it doesn't sound so scary as much, does it? There's never been a greater opportunity for us to spread the word of the gospel than now. Circumstances and situations are not as they used to be because of the world that we're living in right now. I mean, think about this. Everyday words like pandemic, quarantine, isolation, social distancing, death, depression, loneliness, fear, panic. These are common words now that we hear all the time. Used to be you didn't hear about that very much. When they talked about a pandemic, it was years ago that something that probably happened. Well, this is our reality right now. But we're, I feel like we're being desensitized. And I'm not being political here. I feel like we're being desensitized because these words don't affect us the way they used to. They're so commonplace, which is sad. They're so commonplace. You say, someone says, well, you, you, I got a quarantine for 10 days. They feel like it's a 10-day vacation. It doesn't have that same urgency that says, no, in order to save and preserve lives, we have to do this. No, it's just something we do now because somebody said so. They just said, well, do that because I said so. These words stop people from interacting with each other. Social distancing sounds like it's designed to keep us apart. I understand the, the social implications of physical social distancing, but it goes further than that. When we social, when we distance ourselves from someone, that is more like an isolation. When we distance ourselves from God, I mean, what's that? That's like spiritual distancing, right? To coin a new phrase, I haven't heard anybody say it yet, so you know, write that down. Spiritual distancing. That's what happens when we purposefully decide that we're going to avoid being interacting with God because we're afraid of what happens because we know what we've done. But God's not like that. But think about all these ways. We got the internet, cell phones. We we are people in New Zealand are tuning in to our uh, our uh, prayer room uh, services and our Sunday services that we don't really even know and they're asking for prayer because they know this church is a praying church. They know this church has a direct connection to God and that we will agree with them as they petition their needs to the Father as well. We want to be known as those people. Not the ones that, oh, well, I, I didn't wear the right kind of clothes or whatever it was that everybody looked down their nose at me. We're not like that. We shouldn't be like that.
Easy ways to remember evangelism. Okay? One friend telling another friend about the friend. Right? One friend telling another friend about the friend. I got a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Alright? One beggar telling another beggar where the food is. I've always loved that one. You're hungry? Great. I know where we can feast forever. You thirsty? In fact, it was so important, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where do we find righteousness? Jesus. Point them to Jesus. You hungry? You thirsty? Let's go. Alright? One sinner telling another sinner where to find forgiveness. Now this is a kind of a this is one of those tight ropes because you say, Well, I'm I'm not a sinner. I'm sanctified and I'm I'm walking in the grace of the Lord. I know that. I know that, but we're all still have this this uh, potential for sin to creep into our lives. But I can help people who help really don't feel like they have that opportunity to get forgiveness. Some people can't even forgive themselves. It's not necessarily about forgiving someone else. It starts with their own self. We meet people all the time that won't come in the church because they say that they've just done so wrong that God wouldn't forgive them. We're still working on reaching them. How? By loving them. By not saying, yeah, you're a lost cause. You might as well stay over there in the woods. You know, that's the best place for you. No. These doors are always open. Our hearts are always open. Our pantry is always open. We always want to help those in need. You know, and there are some people who don't look like they're in need. You probably saw some at the food drive. People driving up in a nice car, but yet they're hungry because they got no food in their shelves. They're probably struggling to keep that car payment going, you know, I know. But there's a, there's a thing, a line where we say we're just wanting to give the love into our community. That's what I love about River City Hope is we're not afraid to show the love of Jesus to anybody. I heard Greg was out there praying with people and I don't know whoever else was. I know there was lots of praying going on with people out there. Just We don't even know their names. Brett does it. I've seen, I've seen several of you. That's so, so much like Jesus. He would meet them at their need and say, what can I do for you today? The Gospel is the good news. It literally means good news. And to spread the Gospel is to spread the good news of Christ, of what He can do for them. We do that through evangelism. Evangelism, all it is is proclamation. Just proclaiming how God's been good to you. Discipleship is demonstration. Come and follow me as I follow Christ. We're doing life together. But discipleship is more than just teaching. You see, you say, well, I'm not a good teacher. And I'm, what if somebody asks me a question that I don't understand? And I don't know how to answer that. Well, we're going to touch on some of those in just a minute. But you see, it's not an option. It's a command. He says, go and make disciples. That means talking to people. And that means proclaiming. That's all it is. Without evangelism, you see, there is no discipleship. We got, we got nobody to help walk through life with if we're not talking to anybody. We're just isolated and doing it ourselves. So how do we overcome <coughs> excuse me, the fear of evangelism, of proclamation? Let's talk about, there's five myths of evangelism that we're going to cover really quickly here. You have to have, number one, you have to have all the answers. That's a scary one, isn't it? That'll scare you right from the start. Forget the fact that you don't like to talk to people. What if they ask a question? <laughs> Someone asks you a question you don't know, here's a easy way to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find somebody who does. I know people who might help us with this answer. And they're like, what? You know people? You have friends? You have others? You mean there's others like you that are willing to help someone like me? I'm in. I'm in. 
They're going to be happier, I believe, that you showed that you cared to find the answer for them. You know, there's that old uh, saying, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can spout off all the quotes and all the statistics that you want, but if you're not showing that you care and love, love them, what do they care? Why do they, why do they need to listen to that? So we show them that we care. We say it around here because you matter to God, you matter to us. That's everybody. That's the person working the, the counter at the Taco Bell. It's the person at the toll booth taking the tickets. It's the person at the movie theater, wherever you go, at the Kroger, whatever it is that you're engaged in, that's someone Jesus died for. And they matter to Him. So they're supposed to matter to us. Number two, you have to change your personality. You say, I'm not a really outgoing person. I don't know about this talking to people. My mother, bless her heart, I, we love my mom. And she has this thing to where she has been going to her Nazarene church out in western Kansas. And through the example of what River City has been doing here by our food giveaways and our generosity to the neighbors, they have decided that they're going to start getting bread and taking it to the shut-ins and to the people who are you know, just not able to get out and do some shopping for themselves. My mother, in her 70s, is loading up her van with about 25 loaves of bread that they bring from uh, the nearby town, uh, their Kroger store down there. Uh, they uh, donate extra bread, and they give it to the church. And so she's driving around giving away bread, knocking on doors, ringing doorbells, and they're, they're like, who, who is, who's bringing us this? And she says, well, we're just a little Nazarene church over here you know, on the other side of town. Town's not that big, so, you know, they probably know where it is. And she's saying, really? And mom said, well, really, God is providing this bread. You know, and every week, they have more people that they'll get bread from. And uh, it's really interesting because she asked me one time, she says, well, how do you guys pray for people when they drive up? Like, she says, I'm really uncomfortable with that. I'm just not sure how to, how do you, mom, just do what Brett and everybody we've seen does. To say, hey, what's your name? Hi, James. How can I pray for you today? You got anything I can pray for you? And they're like, well, yeah, I do. Or thanks for asking. Or no, not today, you know, or whatever. But most of the time, that question. And if they say no, there's nothing I can pray for, I say, all right, well, God bless you, you know. Next time we see them, they're going to know. Those are the people that pray. You've probably got people that know they can contact you when they have a need to pray for because they recognize so just be yourself. God chose you the way you are. And He's making you into what He wants you to be as long as we're being obedient and listening. So He's going to use us. Just be genuine. Be authentic. You don't have to know all the big answers and have to say all these things and be an outgoing, talking person. Just be a good example that you don't have to be a theological scholar. That's a good one. That'll help. That's duplicatable. You see, the thing about discipleship is we make it too hard because some things are not quite duplicatable. That's not true. We have to make it simple. Somebody might say, yeah, well, you know the Bible inside and out and quoting verses, and I can't do that. Well, then I'm not going to do that either. I'm just going to say, Jesus loves you, and so do I. How can we pray for you? Use the abilities you already have. Use whatever it is that He's given to you. The best ability is availability. Availability. Think about that. The quality of being able to be used or obtained. Just be available. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? Somebody says, why are you always so full of joy? Why are you always happy, Greg? Why are you smiling all the time? Every time I see you, you're smiling. He says, because I got the love of the Lord in me. I got Jesus just oozing out. I just, I can't help it. He loves me so much. It just makes me feel like I'm on top of the world. <clears throat> so always be prepared to give an answer. The next one here is, the next uh, uh, myth is you have to have the gift of evangelism. It is true, there's a test you could take, and on there it will say you have the gift of hospitality or the gift of this or gift of that, and evangelism is on that list, but this is a different type. This gift of evangelism is not something that you acquire. You see, you don't, you don't have to be called to it. Because guess what? You've already been called to it. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We just read it. It clears up that last part. You've been called. We've been commanded. The Greek word for evangelist means one who brings good news. Are you able to share what God has done for you? Are you? Guess what? You're an evangelist. You're the bringer of good news. Let's just dissect that down. Make it real easy. Don't worry about that word evangelism, evangelist. You could talk about what He's doing in you, what He's done through you, what you've seen, what you've heard, other people's stories. And give someone the permission and faith to know that He can do it for them too. It's really all it is. Number four, I have to get my life in order first. So this is a big one. People say, you know, I, I got so many things wrong with me. I, I, you know, I'm like that three-legged dog with no tail and they named him Lucky. Think about it. We've talked about ourselves to the point to where we say, I got to get all... I, you don't take a clean car to a car wash, do you? No, you don't. It doesn't make sense. It couldn't be any farther from the truth. Who told you that you had to clean up your act before God would accept you? Who told you? You don't take a clean car to a car wash. I, that one always stuck with me and someone said that and I thought, you know, that's, that was me in a nutshell. I had a lot of things and God says, just come as you are. John 6.37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Those words are written in red in my Bible, and I know that Jesus said them because of that. He says, I will never drive them away when they come to me. In Deuteronomy and Hebrews, both Old Testament and New Testament, we're reminded that God will never leave us or forsake us. Amen? So either we believe this or we don't. If God could be trusted, and He can, then this should be the most comforting fact in existence right now. God is not going to forget to protect us or to provide for us and to love us. He's always going to be there when we need Him. Number five, get rid of all questions and doubts. I have to get rid of all these things before I can talk to anybody. Don't, la, 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 don't ask me any questions because I'm not quite ready yet. I haven't received my degree in the mail telling me that I'm certified to be able to talk to you about theological things. I still have questions. And I'll always have them until the day I die and all is revealed. And in fact, there's going to be some things that I'm going to think were big questions and I'm going to get there and they're not going to matter anymore. Because when you're in the presence of the Lord, the little things all seem to fade away. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When we're in His presence, those little tiny questions that niggle at us, they won't matter. 
Jesus didn't ask us to go into the world and make church members. He did not. It's not about filling these seats. He said, make disciples. He said, do life together. Learn and lead and teach others to do the same. Two ways people determine how successful a church is. How many people they have and how much money they have. Sad, isn't it? This little church, we were just talking about this this morning and yesterday, does more than I think a lot of churches do because of the faith of the people that are here. I'm not bragging on us, I'm bragging on God. Because God has, whole, has pulled a place in your heart that has drawn you close to Him. And you want to be obedient. And there's no man or woman here who's going to tell you, you have to do this or you're not a part of this church. It's obedience to the Lord. We don't want to know those things. We're not, we're not concerned so much with those things. All those things are when attendance is low or high is a barometer of where people are at in their lives. We have some people who just, they travel. They got places they need to go and they'll be back. We got other people who just stop showing up. And that for us is a barometer of, hey buddy, what's going on in your life? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? What's, what's happening? Where are you at? Why are you not here? Why are you not amongst us who love you so we can encourage you? We go through that from time to time, don't we? But you see, neither of those things have anything to do with a successful church. A successful church is willing to go, teach, baptize, and make disciples who make disciples. Because it all rolls right back into how do we all follow Jesus. And while we're on the subject, a successful church also focuses on the work of Christ on the cross. We do that here. Teaches grace and not legalism. Teaches the truth of the Word of God and its doctrine without compromise. The full counsel of God. Teaches the congregation to increase in sanctification. You say, what's sanctification? It's being, being set apart for God, for His use. Promotes the increase in the use of spiritual gifts given to various individuals within the body. Each part of the body has a different function, but they all function together as one body. Doesn't let political correctness influence preaching and teaching of biblical truth. That does not happen here. We will not. A successful church is evangelistic. There's that word. Don't be scared. It means they're just proclaiming how God good is, is good is to them. Takes care of the widows. Takes care of the orphans. Takes care of the homeless. Visits people in prison. The hospitals. Makes disciples who make disciple makers. All the while, as Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything He has shown us to do. We've come full circle. So how do we successfully get to that place? Last thing here. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, 6. Some people have circumstances in their history and their background that certain words kind of set them off. Oh, here come the Jesus people again. <laughs> They're either saying, here come the Jesus people, or praise the Lord, here come the Jesus people. Right? We want to be the second. But we need to season our conversations with salt and grace. In the book of Colossians, Paul taught the Christ followers to season their conversations with salt. You see, you've been to somebody's house and you're like, hmm, I see they're cooking Brussels sprouts. I'm not so keen on Brussels sprouts. And they're like, just try it. Just try it. It's an old recipe, right? Just, just give them a try. And they come out and they don't look quite like Brussels sprouts. They're kind of crispy around the edges and they got like brown sugar or something on them. I don't know. What are they dressing them up? So maybe we'll try them. And you try it and you taste it. You're like, hmm. That's surprising. That's better than I thought it was going to be. You see, that's what that grace in our language is going to be. I know you don't like Brussels sprouts, do you? The eyebrows give it away. 
But we have to give it a chance. And be gracious. We might be surprised at what God's going to do. And that conversation, it becomes more palatable. People want to talk to you when you don't always feel like you're hammering things home to them. Grace isn't hitting them over the head with a Bible. Especially if they're just looking for answers. And don't be afraid of the questions. I know, I don't know the answer to it, but I think I know somebody who does. You see, it's kind of like this. It's that telemarketer that keeps calling and calling wanting to sell you windows and doors. And even though you need windows and doors and they're calling during your supper time, no matter how bad you know you want them or need them, you're still got set against receiving what they have to say. Sometimes it's like that with folks. So we have to approach it with grace. We don't hit them between the eyes with a sermon. That's, that's where the bottom line of that is. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking more about discipleship and how we can do it better, doing life together. We're not interested in trying to start some big programs. We want to focus on what God wants instead of what we think we need. Because church growth, it's wonderful when it happens for the right reasons. Discipleship isn't a strategy for church growth or even to make a church successful. But when we grow into a strong group of disciples, who is that? People who learn and follow Jesus. Then, think about what that happens here. Learning first what we have to do to obey Him, and then doing what we've been told to do and to teach others to do the same. It's really simple. That is a strong foundation of a successful church. Last thing, I want to challenge you with this, uh, this little story here. Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. Ice houses had thick walls, no windows, a tightly fitting door. And in winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, large blocks of ice were cut, hauled to the ice houses and covered with sawdust. Often the ice would last well into the summer. One time a man lost a valuable watch in one of these ice houses while he was working. And he searched all over for it. He could not find it raked through the sawdust because they put sawdust on the floor to help insulate. He couldn't find it. His fellow workers, they also looked. But their efforts, too, proved futile. A small boy who heard about the fruitless search slipped into the ice house during the noon hour and soon emerged with the watch. Amazed, the men asked him how he found it. He said this, I closed the door, the boy replied. I lay down in the sawdust and I kept very still. And soon I heard the sound of the watch. So what do we got to do? Get away, close the door, whether it's your prayer closet, whatever it might be, and get still and listen for God in that still small voice. Who do you want me to lead? But lead me first. Teach me first, Jesus. And then show me someone that you want me to lead, to do life with. Not someone I command over or I'm their manager. But someone who you want me to help. My final thing that I wrote was, Lord, may we after today not have to have you tell us because I said so. May we be still enough to hear his voice as we, he begins to lead us and guide us to those we should be discipling. Help us to speak the truth in love and with grace to those we're doing life with on a day-to-day -day basis.
and help us to filter out all of the other voices that are demanding our attention and only to listen to Him. Would you stand with me? Jesus, today we pray this. We make this our prayer. We say, lead us and guide us. Help us to not be so attracted and drawn to the other voices that would otherwise have us not doing what you'd called us to do. May we also walk away with here, away from here with a, a certain understanding and a grace to understand this is not a hard process. We don't have to change things except that if we're not following you already step by step, moment by moment, help us and give us the strength. Grant us the wisdom to be able to do that and the perseverance. Lord, we thank you for speaking through us as we encounter others today, as we leave this place, and as we encourage one another. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now go into all the world and tell them about Jesus. Just share. Amen. Thanks for being with us.